Welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I really appreciate that you tune in to listen each week. I'm excited to say that my wife, Dee, and I are headed to Lincoln, Nebraska this August to line up in the 75-mile Garmin Gravel Worlds. We'll be racing our tandem, but not against the now infamous Dutch tandem duo who almost won the 150-mile race last year. They can have the 150. We'll be waiting for them at the finish line. I mean, at, at least I hope we'll be done before them. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because today's guest is a founder of what has become one of the monuments of gravel, Corey Cornbread Godfrey. I have many memories of Cornbread from his days doing Trans-Iowa. Whether I was there or not, his name, along with guys like Joe Miser, John Gorilla, Joe Partridge, all names I remember following on Guitar Ted's Trans-Iowa updates and blog posts. So, grab yourself a cup of chain and spoke coffee and join me in welcoming Garmin Gravel World's founder and Gravel Hall of Famer, Corey Cornbread Godfrey. Uh, Corey Cornbread Godfrey, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm so glad to have you on. You are actually my first... I think any Hall of Famer, much less Gravel Hall of Famer, but my first Gravel Hall of Famer on uh, on the podcast. So welcome to uh, Bike Talk with Dave. Well, Dave, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Sweet. Well, you have um, a long resume, but I'm going to focus on a few things. One is our Trans-Iowa history a little bit together and a lot not together. You were an 11-time uh you started, you lined up 11 times on Trans-Iowa. We'll talk a bit about that. Gravel Hall of Fame, that's awesome. And the um, the inaugural um, inductees, is that what you call yourselves? The inaugural or the... Yeah, I guess inaugural class or yeah, inductees. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And founded, um, I guess, via the Gra- uh, Pirate Cycling League of Nebraska, the... Gravel Worlds, which yep, is super cool. Mm-hmm. Which I think, I think your history in Trans Iowa and uh, creating uh, Gravel Worlds probably led you to Gravel Hall of Fame. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, welcome to the show. All of that said, I'm most curious about where the nickname Cornbread come from. Well, that's a that's a story. So good. When I good. That's first, why we're here, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I came to Lincoln from the Cleveland, Ohio area. I grew up in a small town called Conneaut. I went to school at Ohio University, did my uh, undergrad and grad there. And then uh, it was right around 2000. It was like 1999. The job market was pretty tough. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, so I was bound to determine to find a job. So I sent my resume out to every hospital and cardiac rehab facility in the country. I think even some international places. I, I sent out like 400 cover letters and resumes. Oh my. And uh, Lincoln, Nebraska was one of the places that contacted me for an interview. So I'd, I'd already determined like, oh, I'm going to go, I think it was Memphis I wanted to go to, or maybe it was New York. Like, oh, I'm going to go one of those places. And uh, Lincoln's like, hey, we'll fly you out. And like, all right, like, I'll, I'll go check it out. I've never been to Lincoln. I couldn't even identify Nebraska on the map. But flew out, checked it out, uh, saw the awesome trail system in Lincoln, and 
after the visit, being here for three days, decided I wanted to come. So that's what got me out to Lincoln. But, you know, going from Ohio to Nebraska, not knowing anybody, um, you know, that's always a kind of a tough transition. So for, for races, I started doing bike races right away, um, mountain bike races. I usually would just show up with cornbread because I got kind of into a kick of making cornbread. So people didn't really know who I was. I was this, this tall, new dude, new guy in the area. And he always brought cornbread to the bike rig because I'd usually hand some out too to, to people. Like, hey, you want some cornbread? So people just started calling me cornbread um, and the name kind of stuck. So that was 2000 and I've kind of had the nickname since. That's awesome. I love that. I don't know if I ever got any of your cornbread. I'm going to have to uh, hunt you down. you still make it? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I kind of got out of that. Like, and the people kept bugging me. Hey, where's your cornbread, man? Like, that's your name. Like, ah, oh, dude. I don't have time to bake right now. Ride my bike. That's funny. So what got you started on a bike? Well, I was in college and, well, I guess we can go way back. I mean, as a kid, uh, started riding bikes and we used to ride actually on gravel as kids in my small town, Conneaut. So we had some friends who lived out in the country and we would just go out and explore. Um, my hometown has uh, quite a few cool covered bridges we try to ride to. Ooh. So that was something we usually try to do. And a lot of those are off of gravel roads. So for me, as a little kid, exploration, and then that kind of tr transitioned the same reason when I was a, an adult in college, able to go explore some stuff and get around campus because the high university is kind of a larger campus. Um, just getting across campus was much quicker. And then I tried a mountain bike race in college and uh, this the beginner category on like a you know two hundred dollar mountain bike an old Raleigh, crashed like immediately, busted open my elbow, um, bent my handlebar so the handlebar was rotating in the stem. I mean it was nuts like within ten minutes of the start. But I finished the race and had a, like an almost completely tacoed wheel. Somehow I was able to finish on on that and banged it back into place, and just kind of fell in love with mountain biking after that because because of the challenge. Um, and then moving out to Lincoln. You know, Lincoln has some decent mountain biking. Omaha has some decent mountain biking, but lots of gravel, as you know, in the Midwest. So kind of got into gravel after that. So this exploration for me has always been um, really the main reason why I like to, to ride and the adventure. And also a community. I mean, it's just a great community around bikes, too. Yeah, no doubt. And you're part of that community and part of what continues to kind of nurture that community, which is very cool. Uh, so for mountain bikes, like, would you ride gravel on your mountain bike just as training for mountain biking? Yeah, um, initially all I had was mountain bikes, and we would do that whenever the single track was wet, just to try to get some additional miles and, and keep in shape. And then I really didn't like it all that much, obviously. You know, as a mountain biker, you like riding single track. Um, but after a while, it was kind of fun going to some small towns and you know, find some pretty cool things along the way, like a, you know, a cool little cafe you stop in and you meet some pretty fun people or, hey, this, this one dog always comes out and wants to just hang out for a bit. You stop and pet it and whatnot. Or, so, you, you know, I think after a while, just riding gravel just to maintain my fitness, I really started to, to enjoy it. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a lot of our or origin stories. We did Leadville in the early OOs and, uh, you know, the mountain bike gravel was our training ground for long races like Leadville because you could only do, well, it really wasn't a lot of single track back then. 
at least locally, we might have had a one seven mile trail or whatever. Sure. So, so it was gravel and it's not that we loved it. It's that it was there and we kind of had to use it and you, you kind of develop a relationship with it. Just like you said, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how'd you end up going long? Cause trans Iowa, for those who don't know it, it started riding across Iowa. You had 36 hours or so to complete a gravel ride across Iowa. You were given cue cards and gun went off at 4 AM and off you went to, uh, from the Missouri river to the Mississippi river in one push. That's a far cry from single track around Omaha. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I liked the kind of the six hour, 12 hour, 24 hour mountain bike races. So I knew I could do those. I mean, this is sleep deprivation and just being on the bike that many hours. Um, so decided to give it a shot, but to tell you the truth, my first trans Iowa that I actually com- competed in, I did sign up for the uh, second version, but it was rained out or actually wasn't rained out. You guys all started in the rain. We did. It was horrible. I had a work conflict, so I couldn't do that one. So my first trans Iowa was version three. Um, my longest ride up to that point uh, was only a hundred miles. So I was just like, ah, I'm just going to try this and see how far I can make it. You know? And I remember uh, going over a hundred miles, like, wow, this is my longest ride I've ever done. 101 miles. So I only had like 240 more to go or something like that. <laughs> right. But I didn't finish that year, but I did get, I think, 240 miles or something. Wow, that's awesome. Some, some major, like, I think you've talked about this before, like IT band problems. Yep. Man, I was just wrecked by that. You know, after like 240 miles, couldn't even walk. So I had to pull the plug. Yeah, I can relate to that, unfortunately. Uh, what was the first one you finished? I think the next year was the year that it was shortened. I don't know if you remember that one. I do. That was my second attempt. And yeah, like, oh, I have a story of stark raving fear from that one. Was uh, God, all of them kind of run together for yeah. me now? Um, that was, was that the year? lightning storm. Okay. I, I remember being w- east of the city of New- Newton. And I'm high on this ridge crossing over the interstate and there's freaking ground strike lightning all around. And I saw a truck stop sign to the west and I took the first gravel road to the right and beat feet to that truck stop and was literally like the hair was right, like all stuck up on my arms because of the lightning. It was, it was crazy scary. I don't know how anyone continued. I don't, what was your story that day? Man, I, I just figured, I knew it was really sketchy. Like, well, it was still dark too, wasn't it? Yep. It was raining. It's like, well, if I go out this way, at least I, like, I go out doing something I love. And I know a lot of people, <laughs> where I was, I was talking to them passing because it's really hard. You don't really know who you're next to because, you know, your beam of light is in front of you. And back then we had like maybe 150 lumens Ooh, of light maybe. power. Yeah. You know, if that. So, I mean, really you're almost riding in the dark. So you really don't know who you're riding with until the sun comes up. But I just remember asking, like, hey, you're going to take shelter? And, like, it was 50-50. Like, nah, I'm going to keep on going. Like, And I just, like, oh, I'm just going to keep on going, too. I must have been riding next to someone who said, let's just keep on going. But uh, th- th- there were some scary times in some trans-Iowas with lightning. Now, uh, we had one year I was riding with Steve Fuller, Sarah Cooper, Ben Oney, um, a bunch of other people. And 
we saw this crazy storm coming up. And have you ever seen orb lightning? Or have you ever heard of orb lightning? I've heard of it. Yeah. I, I never knew what it was until I saw it. And I had to like look it up. Like, what was that, guys? And uh, it was like pink lightning that dissipated into these like balls, like lightning balls. It was the weirdest thing. And after we all saw that, we're just like, uh, let's find some shelter. And we just <laughs> yeah. feet, feet for like a corn crib. And it wasn't even a farm. And we got in. It was either a corn crib or a barn. And it just downpoured after that. But, I mean, lightning is a real threat, you know, out there on the plains. For you know, sure. Out there, completely exposed. People don't realize that. You don't think about it like how it is in the mountains. Obviously, you're up higher. But there is still a threat with lightning in any kind of storm. you got to be careful. Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt. What was it that kept you coming back? You did 11 starts. What? Why did you keep signing up? You know, just the, the fun, the challenge. The first year, even though I didn't finish, um, I got to ride with some people, and I, I made some good friendships from that. And just the stories and the experiences you had and the sense of the community when you're out there, like, it, it really, the competition wasn't, I mean, there was competition, but, you know, for us, we were just trying to work together to finish. Mm-hmm. And now we're all helping each other out. Um, and that was demonstrated through the whole entire event. Um, even after I, I pulled the plug, um, we were still kind of like just making sure other people were, were okay, uh, if they needed to, cause there were some storms there, I think that year as well. Um, you know, I just, I just loved it, you know, and, uh, caught the bug and it gave me something to train for every year. It was earlier in the year, April. So it gave you a reason to train and keep on riding throughout the winter. So good motivation. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I had to keep coming back. That's awesome. Um, do you remember some of your your bike setups from those days? Pretty, uh, pretty basic. You know, things have changed a lot. So for sure, riding a cross bike. What's one of you your know, most I, I, What's one of your most memorable bike setups from TI? I think just a, a standard cross bike um, with as much clearance as possible. You know, I think I would be running 35C tire at the biggest. Um, most time, if I knew it was going to be wet, 32s. And then, you know, I didn't really have any huge bags on there. I just tried to carry everything in my pockets and just try to race to the next location. Always carried probably three or four tubes. You know, try to stuff those in a sat- small saddlebag. And just really what you had to focus on is a way to figure out how to read your cue sheets. And like every year... You know, like, okay, you'd try to improve upon it because you would realize during the event, like, oh, I should have tried this. You know, this would be better for next year. So every year I kind of try to improve upon those or just even having like a small light on your helmet to see the cue sheets better or having like a rubber band that you can slide down because you'd be so tired, you forget what line you're on. Like, what road am I on, huh? You know, and um, just tweaking those small little things. I mean, for me, that was probably the most memorable thing I think about when my setup is the cue sheets and lights, you know, as we started, like I said, not much lights, you know, I started with like a small blinky and I was like, ah, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I can't, we're not going to be going that fast in the dark anyway, but you needed to be able to see the street signs. So, um, you know, I always had to get a better light and just make sure I was taking the right turns. And sometimes I didn't, sometimes I would take the wrong turn. And you've probably done that before during a trans highway, you take the wrong turn, you get lost for a little bit. You'd have to backtrack to where you, you got off the course, try to figure out where you were on the cue sheets. And I mean, you could spend an hour doing that, you know, and you're only 
allowed so many hours, which is about 10 mile per hour average. So if you chew it up an hour, your chances of making the cutoff are, you know, a little bit tighter. Yeah, a lot of bit tighter for sure. Um, yeah, both of those things were, we take them for granted now. You, you throw your Garmin on and plug in the route and, and you're good to go. And Garmin's extended battery life's now, like it can make it through a Trans-Iowa. Back in the day, you got cue sheets and you only got some of them. You had to you right. had to earn the rest of the route by getting to the two checkpoints on time. Uh, yeah, and you think about how much we would stop on the bike too, because you would stop sometimes just to kind of like, okay, let me check the cue sheet, make sure this is the correct one, because after you take a wrong turn once, you don't want to do that again. Right. So it was it was beneficial to stop an intersection just to confirm, like, all right, this is the road I'm on, this is the road I'm supposed to turn on. And just double check. So all those stops throughout 300 some miles really added up. Yeah, big time. So it, that's what made it really tough for for folks who were, you know, were trying to finish. If you do that, you know, what, probably 150 times, it, it can be two, three, four hours of stoppage. Yeah, easy peasy. Um, what was your favorite cue sheet setup? Uh, I think my favorite, I had a, a Banjo Brothers um, deal, and I would basically just, um, in a plastic bag, Ziploc bag, I would uh, have a cue sheet for one and the next cue sheet on the ops backside. Yeah. So I would just flip, you know, take it out of the Banjo Brothers, slide in, slide it back in, so that minimized how much I'd have to stop versus, you know, having to stop every time and, and turn a cue sheet, but then you would just do two at a time. And so you could save a little bit of time that way. I know some folks would try to make like a booklet, like mm-hmm. this really ornate booklet. They would slide each cue sheet in so they could just turn. But you'd have this huge honking thing on your handlebar, and that would take up a lot of real estate. And I liked having the, all the extra hand positions on my drop bar just for fatigue factors. Um, so I didn't want to do that. So uh, how about you? Did you have a, a pretty good setup? That you I liked? didn't have a good setup. And the Banjo Brothers came after a while because... There was nothing when we first started Trans Iowa one two three. There was not there. Nobody thought of that. There was not a need until Trans Iowa. And thank you, Guitar Ted. Um, <laughs> my favorite was a paint stick strapped to my stem, and then I had another paint stick across it, and then I clipped. I had the like alligator clips, the cue cards in a Ziploc bag yeah. to the the paint sticks and. Honestly, that was probably my favorite. That's actually pretty clever. And that, that's kind of cool. Like, I'd always enjoy seeing other people's setups and, like, try to take ideas from them and, and, and share ideas. Because, uh, yeah, reading the cue sheets, that was always kind of a challenge, especially, you know, for people out there listening. It was literally pl- printed on just 8.5 by 11 white paper. Paper. Like, white office That paper. melted yeah. in your back pocket. Yeah. So, if it, if it rained... You know, those were done. Yep. So, you know, one year actually I used, because I work in the, in the medical field, I used, uh, kind of gross, I used a laboratory sample shipping bags because you, oh. they're, they're clear and they're they're waterproof. So I, I used those for my cue sheets and they kept them pretty dry. But then you'd have to have a lot of, a lot of those in order to put the sheets yeah. in. So it kind of created like a book and that, that was just too cumbersome. Yeah. After that one, gosh, those are great memories. You, you, I, again, you take it so for granted. The Garmin's on your 
handlebars now and you plug the and it tells you which way to go and yells at you if you yeah. miss the turn it's uh it's awesome so much easier now so i got i gotta tell you a story about a q sheet though uh it was my second year in trans iowa it was a shortened year and uh, i think only five of us finished uh, joe miser ended up winning mm -hmm. it i think john gorilla was there uh, charles parsons I think Charlie Farrell was any of the other person in my All, all legends, man. You just mentioned legends. Yeah. You just that's awesome. But I was the last one to get the last checkpoint. I think I made it there just barely in time. Because my cue sheet said it was gonna be in the cemetery. They decided to move it. So I got to the cemetery, I'd taken my shoes off. You know, I decided I'm quitting. Cause I, I thought we still had to do like on at 120 miles. And uh and I'm like, gosh, it's like two minutes to midnight. And then my friend calls me. He's like, dude, you need to get the checkpoint. Like, I'm at the checkpoint. He's like, no, no, they, they moved it to the town square. I'm like, where's the town square? Like, in the middle of Iowa, rural town, it's super dark. So I start yelling, you know, in a small town, and they yell back, and I eventually follow the sound. I got there with, like, 10 seconds to spare. Oh, man. So when I got there, like, they're like, hey, um, they hand me the cue sheet. I'm like, I'm done. No, I'm done. Like, no, dude, they, they shortened the course. You only have 20 miles to go. I'm like... I just won the lottery. Give me those sheets. Uh, I, I was actually like, really? Like, give me the cue sheets. Ah, you know, I was kind of mad. It's like, I can't quit now. You know? So they gave me the cue sheets, but they were handwritten. Oh. So uh, really hard to see. You know, had hardly any light. Handwritten in pencil. So I take off. I get lost immediately leaving that town. I somehow ride around this little small town for like 40 minutes. Find the right way. Uh, start going and then I, I thought I see something that said uh, look you know turn right on B5 road so I look for B5 road can't find it so I just keep on going straight I go well because they didn't have mileage on, on the amended Q sheet so I just keep going and I go for like 15 you know miles and I'm like all right well it's got to be here maybe it's a different county because there was numbers in the county I was in like okay must be the next county it switches over to um, letters and numbers uh, and I just keep going and like it's past 20 miles I'm like alright something's wrong they told me it was 20 miles and I, I think Mark's told the story before like how they, they went out looking for me trying to figure out where I was so I backtrack and I must have went back and forth so many times the same road over and over got chased by the same dog but finally I run into Mark and Dave Powell's and they take me into the small town and they guide me in there and we finish well come to find out that B was actually a one and a three oh. written so closely together it looked like it was 135 i turned i was looking for b5 it didn't exist literally. it didn't exist so i always laugh about that story because i say oh corey's got these navigational challenges what well, i do but i was looking for b5 do you know what i'm impressed with after b5. hearing that story i'm impressed that guitar ted and dave pals are still alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> dang man i think i i think i i cursed their name i'm sure you did was, holy cow uh, oh no, man no after late. such a long ride oh i had done at least 40 miles because they're like oh it only taken like two hours at most it was four hours had gone by and they're like we better go start looking for this guy so that's when i i, I basically was starting to backtrack all the way back to the town i started in you know when they gave me the cue sheets and that's what i ran i'm impressed they found you so i yeah, I, I think actually what I was going to do is like, you know what, I'm bailing. I'm just going to go to this highway. 
and just try to ride back to that one town because I could still see the yeah. lights because I wasn't super far from that town. And that's when they ran into me. I think I might have just turned on 135, luckily. And I was literally like a mile and a half from where I was supposed oh, to wow. go. So I was I was really close to where I, I needed to oh, be. That's crazy. But yeah, fun stuff. That's persis- persistence. Uh, so out of Trans-Iowa came the, well, I, I don't know if out of Trans-Iowa came, but uh, in Nebraska, you guys kind of, drummed up the pirate cycling league what's the origin story of that so craig schmidt and troy kraus a couple of roadies um they were getting kind of tired of the the road scene here and really enjoyed riding gravel and just doing kind of non-traditional cycling events so craig and troy created the pirate cycling league and started hosting some like crits some point-to-point stuff and I started going to those immediately when they started hosting them and just offered to help out with whatever. And so I was kind of like maybe the third member of the PCL and I created a blog and that helped get the word out. And then uh, folks started showing up to the event. First, it was only just a handful. Then it ended up being, you know, a lot more and just kind of grew into a, a really cool local thing here in Lincoln. And we spurred other events such as like um, Gravel Worlds, which was called the Good Life Gravel Adventure before that. Uh, a gravel event based in Lincoln and the PCL has been around now for over 15 years you know just a kind of a club anyone can join as long as you're cool and just support the community and, and foster um, folks in the sport you guys must uh, feel pretty strongly about being cool because that's actually rule number one for gravel worlds is be cool <laughs> exactly Always yep, be cool, no man. doubt no doubt. So, yeah, 15 years ago was the first Good Life Gravel Ride, 2008-2009. How did it evolve into the Gravel World? Oh, just an idea. There was the Single Speed World Championships. Um, those were pretty fun events. We wanted to keep gravel kind of the same way, keep it fun, keep it light. So I thought of the idea of, of calling it Gravel Worlds, and I thought what better place to do it than in the middle of the country around a lot of gravel in the Midwest. So in 2009, I was like, all right, we're gonna create Gravel Worlds and next year will be our first year, 2010. And it's been going ever since then. And every year it's been growing and growing and growing and reaching more people. And um, in my mind, it's kind of evolved from, you know, kind of a grassroots, it still has that grassroots feel, but to more of a, you know, more premier event with folks coming from almost every state and then multiple countries. So it's been fun to see that growth and really impact a lot of people and get people excited about doing gravel and give folks something to, to train for and then challenge themselves. Why do you think it's grown every year? Yeah, I think folks just realize that the gravels, it's a cool vibe. It's its fun to ride, you know, not just in loops, in a small loop, but to actually go different places and see different things and uh, experience those small communities and, and really experience the, the terrain um, a lot more than you would like in a car on pavement. You know, on, on the gravel, as you all know, there's some pretty good elevation gain. Um, you know, like the interstate, they just pick the flattest route possible, but you just get a little bit north of the interstate like in Lincoln and you hit what we call the Bohemian Alps um, up north of town and a lot of elevation and over the course of the 150 mile event, we'll have 10, 11, 12,000 feet of elevation gain. So we, we don't have 
a big, big climb like in the mountains, but all those smaller ones, you know, just like you in Iowa, those things can add up. But on gravel, you can really experience the land more and have more time to, to bond with people, uh, less chance for interactions with cars, and just a lot more freedom. Having driven across I-80 many, many times, I can say that I think it would have done Nebraska a favor to run the interstate through the scenic parts instead of along the flattest parts because <laughs> we just can't wait to get out of Nebraska and into Colorado. But that was an editorial comment by Dave. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I understand. I mean, the interstate corridor, they pick it for a reason. Yep, it's flat yep. and it's the easiest way across for sure. the state. And it is bone flat for sure. But I, mm-hmm. I actually do enjoy going. You're essentially riding through the Platte River, which is kind of cool. So the Sandhill cranes and herons and all the all the wildlife and the birds and it is it can be very pretty. So I make fun of Nebraska, yeah, sure. but I'm from Iowa, so that's part of my job. Um, well, Iowa's also beautiful too. You just get a little bit off the interstate, and you got some a lot 100%. of beauty there. You know, like now where the Winter Rock is hosted every year, the Winterset region. I mean, there's some big hills oh, for around sure. There. And you know that that town's a gem too. You know, it's really, really cool. If you haven't checked it out, listeners, definitely go check out. And it has something in common with your home county of Ashtabula with the covered bridges. Although we got a book and a movie named after ours. Well, I'm a little jealous. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, So you've been involved in Gravel World since its inception. And I am curious, like the buck stops here, right? With, uh, With you. Can you, did you, have you had any oh crap moments as race director? Like, oh. Yeah, I mean, there's always some, some things that go wrong. But first of all, it, it's a team too. You know, I, I may have founded the event and over the years I've been the main guy. Um, but it's always been a community and a team that's always helped host the event and actually execute it. Um, now we got an amazing team. So, but yeah, there have been some hiccups in the past. Like, a train one year um, blocks the participants and that's just something that happens even at, at larger events too you know you could do your best to look at schedules and try to predict but occasionally a train that wasn't on the schedule comes through and will stop right where you know the, the course will go actually stop uh, oh oh yeah stop change conductors uh. or something you know completely block it so it's like well you know, people will call me during rent like well you yep. gotta wait. <laughs> Nothing you know. I can do about it. Like, what can I? What can I tell you? I, I had to wait for a train a couple times um, before going into Emporia mm, for a finish. Yep. It happens. So, you know, hopefully they keep ideal. moving. But but uh, yeah, exactly. But overall, I mean, not a lot of major hiccups. Um, just some smaller ones like that, or maybe a cue sheet uh, in early days um, would have like a, a wrong, incorrect number, like. Uh, Southwest 56 versus 58 uh, happened one time. I think I went out, actually rode out to the course and like took a bunch of large white rock and put made an arrow on the ground to like indicate because I didn't have any um, marking paint with me. So I was like, oh yeah, I saw the, the big gravel arrow on the ground. That is race go. director right. ingenuity awesome. right there. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Exactly. That's awesome. What brings you joy? The weekend of Gravel Worlds. You know, seeing all the folks there and enjoying the sense of community and then 
having them start and then most of them finish, cross that finish line and just celebrate their accomplishment and really realizing that they've, they've done something special with a special group of people, that's always fun. And there's always great friendships that are formed during these events. Uh, you know that after doing Trans-Iowa's, you, you share uh, an experience of like a Trans-Iowa Gravel Worlds with somebody. And even though you may not see them very often, if you do see them, you can share some really cool stories and you're always happy to see them and relive that experience. So seeing people experience that, that's always awesome. And then also talking to a lot of folks because, you know, you and I still participate in events and we have a chance to do that at our events too. Like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you since the last thing. And, oh man, remember that one time where, you know, lightning storm or, or then we, we found a, a Casey's that had fresh pizza just taken off the oven. That was the best thing ever, you know, because we were starving, talking about food for the previous three hours straight and about what we're going to eat. And then we finally hit a Casey's and just gorge ourselves. So all those, all those stories are, are fun and the shared experiences. Yeah, that's awesome. People. I think everybody listening can probably relate to all of that. You know, I think that's, well, that's part of the shared community is that we all share similar experiences wherever they are from Vermont to California and everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. So your history at Trans-Iowa, your history with Gravel Worlds and the Pirate Cycling League, do you got an arg matey in you? Do you guys do that? Arg matey? Arg. Yeah, I, I, I do the That's R nice. That was good. Occasionally. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of that led you to be among the inaugural classes we've described of the uh, Gravel Hall of Fame. Do you remember when you were first kind of notified, when it became real, when you when you realized you were going to be inducted into the Gravel Hall of Fame? Yeah, it, it was a huge honor um, to be even nominated, honestly. Uh, I didn't really think, you know, hey, I, I'm not going to make the first class, but people are like, oh, yeah, you will, you know, like, I, there's there's a, a really amazing group of people who were inducted you know, last year and, and also this year who've really contributed a ton to the sport. And I guess, you know, being the self-deprecating person I normally am, I usually just minimize my my own personal accomplishments and and uh, you know contributions to the sport. But you know, looking back, like people talk to me about, like, oh, I guess I I have been here for a while, and I guess I, I did help out quite a bit, and. Um, I guess maybe I do deserve them to be in there. Um, it was, like I said, a huge honor, and I'm hoping I, I live up to the, the honor itself and, and really help a sport continue to be a, a, a great, uh, welcoming, inclusive thing What do you for think it means to be in the Hall of Fame? Like, what does that mean for not just you, but your event and really the sport of gravel, which is, I would still say, maybe a toddler? Not in its infancy, but still experiencing growing pains for sure. But what it, what does this Gravel Hall of Fame mean and do for the sport of gravel? You know, I think it helps legitimize it as its own sport. And I think a lot of folks who came to gravel came from different disciplines uh, as a way to try something new or just keep in shape. And for many years, it really wasn't thought of its own discipline. Um, I remember when I was transitioning from mainly going from mountain bike to sticking mainly on gravel, 
people are like, hey, man, why are you doing all this gravel stuff? You know, is it really any fun? And then uh, eventually they would try it. And they're like, you know what? I'm a gravel convert too. They would get it. So, you know, having this Hall of Fame, I think, recognizes the contributions people have done and really celebrates um, all those accomplishments and also recognizes the fact that it's been around for a while. And we got, I got to be honest, it's been around before the, the current gravel revolution, if you want to call it that. Um, people have been riding on gravel for forever. I mean, probably ever since bikes were invented. That's mainly the surface of dirt roads they're riding on. So it's maybe nothing new to ride on unpaved surfaces, but you know the current thing we have going on right now um, that really kind of started mainly, I think, um, in the early aughts and kind of grew into what it is today, um, having a Hall of Fame, I think, really helps legitimize the impact that it has had on cycling. And you know, look at now, you, you can buy gravel-specific bikes. You can buy gravel-specific gear. And uh, the industry is really, at first, they didn't really think much of it. And we were having to make our own modifications with the current bikes, cross bikes, mountain bikes, or whatever, road bikes, and tweaking gear and tires. But now they have stuff just designed for these larger events. So it's, I think it's here to stay, honestly. And I'm really happy about that. And uh, the Cycling Hall of Fame is just a way to to help put a stake in that, that it is, it is really legit. It is, a, I agree with you. Uh, it's a, also a sport that, like I said, is kind of in the, in my opinion, in a toddler stage of life, still experiencing growing pains. From where it came from, like you, well, Trans Iowa specifically, like you sent in a postcard, there was no entry fee. I'd be shocked if they had insurance. Like races were, I would call renegade was very common. Like, Hey, just show. I put on a renegade race once. It's just like, hey, show up. If you want to throw some money into a hat, we'll give it to somebody who needs it. Here's the route. Write down mm-hmm. your time when you finish. Like that was the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where gravel racing evolved from to today. Like huge, <laughs> huge corporate events, a la Lifetime. Um, uh, three-digit entry fees, chip timing, live uh, broadcasts, pros who make their living just racing gravel. Like it's a, it's a whole industry, and it's grown up from that in the past since you and I did Trans Iowa, you know, two and three. How do you feel about where gravel has come from? and what it is today and then you know i'm going to ask about what you think about its future so <laughs> have that in mind but uh, what do you think about the evolution well, so far in my mind uh, and I, i'm sure you feel the same way about this too is it, it's a really fun sport so i, I get it i if people ask me like do you really think this is going to happen with gravel honestly i'd say yeah, I really, I did think it was going to happen with gravel because the earlier events, even though there are crazy long distances and people thought we were nuts for doing it, just being out there experiencing those roads in those communities, it was fun. It was an adventure. So back then I even thought like if they were just to do different distances, this could reach more people and have a bigger impact. So the evolution to where it's gone from the, the nutty distances just for a handful of people across the country who were crazy enough to do it to 
having smaller distances, shorter distances, and opening up to more people. To me, it just makes sense, and I think it's it's great for cycling. Um, it's great for small communities along the routes. Um, it's it's great, I think, in my mind, for everybody. So I'm happy to see how things have evolved to impact more people. Um, obviously, it, whenever there's something that's successful, you know, there's a profit motive too for some folks. That's always going to happen. You know, uh, I can't fault that. Um, just like how it is with like marathons, you know, I would never run out, go out and run a marathon, but maybe I've signed up for a half marathon in my, my time or like a 10K, um, you know, getting people out. If you didn't have those, those distances, you're not going to have as many people out running. So same thing with, with gravel. Impact more people. It's a positive thing in my mind. And I think it's been great, the evolution of it. Um, as far as the future, you know, there's always going to be events that are, like you say, kind of renegade style. Um, there's always going to be events like Iowa Wind and Rock. It's still kind of the original uh, Trans-Iowa model where postcard entry, um, limited number of participants, crazy long distance, crazy challenge, really difficult challenge. You know, early, early in the spring, could be wet, can be windy. Obviously, a lot of white rock can be down because it's early in the year. So the challenge level is extremely high. But there's also going to be some events that are locally, that are free, that are shorter too, that offer an opportunity for folks to, to get their feet wet, to experience it, to get bit by the gravel bug. So I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. Um, gravel doesn't have to be just one flavor. There's a lot of different flavors of gravel, and people can decide and pick what they want to do and support whatever flavor they want or try multiple flavors. So it, it, it's a good thing in my mind, and the more people we get on the bikes – the better uh, two things one gravel worlds has and i should say garmin gravel worlds presented by lauf i'm hoping if i say that enough a bike will show up in my uh, garage but um <laughs> with a computer on the front um there you go. i'm sure you guys you guys are great at not being static at listening to what uh consumers i'll i'll say want or ask for and being receptive and trying to provide that for instance hey we'd love to get together in the winter and ride so you put on a winter um i don't know gravel frozen dirt <laughs> frozen dirt ride um mm -hmm. you're yeah. open to non-binary mm -hmm. you've got a non-binary category you've got a, a 50k gravel ride which is 31 miles which i mean if you're coming from 300 miles why would anyone sign up for a 30 mile race? Because they've never done it before and that's what they want. And you guys are great at listening. You add the run, 50K, 10K, 25K, is that the middle one? 25K. Yep, we added a 25K um, this year, yep. Mm -hmm. You work with Mid-South at doing a combo race. So you guys really seem to be open to trying new thin things and exploring and being creative. What's in your brains for the future? Where are you taking this thing? Well, you never know. You know, we also have a 300-mile event um, that will potentially, we haven't released the route yet, maybe go to Iowa and back. You know, we're always, we're always thinking of, of new things. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. there you go. Uh, and that's the cool thing about gravel. It was kind of a, a blank slate. You can make it what you want. And get input from people 
and take some good ideas, take the feedback, try new things out. Um, it just, it's keep it fun and try new things. So we're always willing to, to look at additional events. And uh, there's another pretty cool idea event. Some of my uh, buddies who do the Pony Express down in Marysville, Kansas, they do a pretty cool idea. They have a, a bike packing event. So before the Saturday is the main event, they bike pack down to a, a place to camp the night before, just in a leisurely kind of non-race format camp. And then the next day, they have a, a race back to the finish line. And they start at a designated time. Like you have to start at 7 a.m. or later and race back. But you have to carry all your gear. I mean, stuff like that. that that's a really cool idea. Like, wow. Like, I never thought of that. That would be fun. Yeah, I wouldn't mind trying cool that idea. someday. And then you can, yeah, then you can ride down with people the night before, talk about gear, have a good time hanging out, you know, make sure maybe you get a little bit of sleep if you're trying to race the next day. But, you know, stuff like that. You know, and that's where the blank slate thing is. Try things out. If people like it, great. And if not, look at doing something else the Dig following it. year. Well, it's time for your commercial. Um, Garmin Gravel Worlds presented by Lauf. It's twice I've said Lauf. There's three. So I feel like when I get home tonight, there will be a present in my garage. Lincoln, Nebraska, August 25th and 26th of this year, which is 2023. Uh, you mentioned 300 mile. Uh, the main event of Gravel Worlds is 150. How did you come up with that distance? Why 150? Well, there's obviously the really popular event uh, down in Emporia, 200 miles. And I just want to try something a little more than 100 miles and just decided on 150. So it's been been around for a number of years and it, and it stuck. So it's, it's more of a challenge than 100, especially in August in Nebraska. So people just love that distance. Very cool. And what else is available? As far as other events, we have the uh, the Privateer uh, presented by CycleWorks. That's going to be a 75-mile event. Um, we have the Buccaneer presented by Panda Racer. That's a 50-kilometer event. And we have the Long Voyage presented by Gooder. That's a 300-mile event. So those are the, the actual cycling events. And we also have uh, the Landho uh, presented by Fleet Feet. We have a 50K, 25K, and a 10K. And if you want yeah. to do both the run and the ride you are welcome to um i know last year was just the 50k um and you had a combined uh scoring i guess for somebody who did both yep i'm sure you still have that combined scoring but is it only the 50k or do other distances count as well so you know that you could do a half, which is going to be the uh, 25K and the 75-mile event. So you can do the, the full-distance one, the 50-mile or 50K run, and then the 150-mile, oh, awesome. or you can do the half. What's the coolest yep. thing about the Garmin Gravel Worlds presented by Lauf? See, there I go again. <laughs> Just trying to make you happy. The, there you go. The, what's yeah, the coolest for thing sure. about the whole event, the whole weekend? Up this getting together with everybody and this, these events are like a reunion in a way, in my mind, and just seeing people and hosting them here in Lincoln and, and showing them all the cool things that 
Lincoln and the surrounding communities have to offer. That's what I really love. I'm really big into um, getting people on bikes. You know, my my graduate degree is in exercise physiology. It's a really a kind of a clinical exercise physiology. So I use exercise I used to professionally mm -hmm. to get people better. You know, to treat diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure. You know, post stroke, all these different things, post transplant. So I really believe in the power of the bicycle to make people better. You know, not just physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. So getting people on bikes is amazing. Um, but I'm also really passionate about uh, trails in, in general. Just uh, And Lincoln has an amazing trail system, trail network. Uh, in Lincoln, I think we're maybe close to 140 miles of, of designated uh, recreational trails or on-street uh, routes. And like I said initially in the earlier interview, that's what brought me here. And some folks who've come to, to Lincoln have seen all that Lincoln has had to offer. And we've had people actually move to the Lincoln area because of them coming to Gravel Worlds and found out that they really enjoy the community and really enjoy the, f the freedom of the ride out and gravel and just getting around town. I mean, um, my previous job before I work with home now, I could literally just got on my bike, rode up my driveway, down the street a little bit, and then hopped on a designated bike route down to a trail and rode the trail all the way to my work, which is eight miles. So that's awesome that you can do that. Sounds kind of like Des Moines. Des Moines has a great trail system as well. So Des Moines and Lincoln, maybe we have a mm -hmm. lot in common. Yeah. That being said, Probably we are do. both yeah. the big, I'm going to say big eight, big 12, big 10 state. And so pretty much everybody in Iowa has a reason to hate Lincoln, Nebraska, but we won't go there. Um, I have to tell you a story because it relates to how I'm going to wrap this up a little bit. When we did Leadville, we did Leadville in the OOs. And I don't know why, but the group that we would, would go out with always wanted to drive halfway to either Kearney or Grand Island, Nebraska, and get a hotel, spend the night, and then make the rest of the trip out to Leadville the next day. And... We would always pull our bikes out of the trailer and go for a ride and find some gravel. And the first year we did that, we got back and first I get a flat and then Jason gets a flat and then Duffy gets a, like everybody ended up with two flat tires, sandburrs. And Oh my yeah, gosh. They can and be I vowed, rough. like, I'm never riding gravel in the state of Nebraska again. I told this to uh, Jason when he was on the pod last year. And I was like, I just really, like, I don't want to ride in Nebraska. Well, Jason did a great job of convincing me otherwise, saying that Grand Island and Kearney are different environments than the Lincoln area. And sandburrs are not the thing that they are out there. And... Uh, he convinced me that uh, I should come do Gravel World. So I'm super excited that my wife and I are loading up our tandem and we're heading out to roll the, is it Privateer, the 75 miler? Yes. Woo! We are awesome. You're going to sail the Gravel Seas. I'm super excited That's about it. Everybody do. from Iowa who has gone out to Gravel Worlds over the years, and you have sent some rainbow jerseys back to uh, central Iowa. Um, Love that weekend, awesome. and we're stoked to take part. And <laughs> I am packing three tubes, 
and sealant and whatever else I need in order to stave off the I still have in my mind that there's going to be sand burrs, even though I'm sure there aren't, but I'm scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. I mean, honestly, I hardly ever flat now around Lincoln and Western Nebraska. You do. You guys have been rolling these roads for 15, 20 years. You guys have probably picked them all up. So thank you. It's a good point. We probably have. Yeah. Well, we're stoked to come out and join you guys for a weekend on the, gravel seas and uh and experience gravel world so dude thanks tons for coming on getting home yeah. from vacation good luck as you guys prepare for august 25th through 26th 26 yeah thanks for having me dave it's been awesome reminiscing about some old trans iowa stories and just catching up and we're looking forward to having you in lincoln in august looking forward to being there thanks tons man Well, I really enjoyed this conversation with Corey. Hopefully you enjoyed getting to know him as well. Perhaps you can join us in August at the Gravel Worlds. Be sure and get all the details at gravelworlds.com and follow along on Facebook and Instagram. You can also get a weekly dose of the Gravel Family on the Gravel Family Podcast, hosted by Jason Strobing and Sophia Gibson. Speaking of podcasts, If you do enjoy this little corner of the internet, I'd welcome you to rate and review on your favorite podcast service. And please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. And if you really dig it and would like to support the show financially, look for Bite Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. There's a link in the show notes. If you do, I'd love to send you a Bite Talk with Dave sticker. I'd like to thank Chain and Spoke Coffee for supporting the show. You can order the beans for home brewing now at chainandspoke.com. And if you're traveling through Des Moines, stop by the shop at 28th and Ningersoll. Thanks also to bikeiowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. Bikeiowa.com has one of the most extensive bike event calendars around. And if you're wanting to promote your event, it's simple and free. Just create an account and enter all the information for your event and then you can always log back in to edit and keep your information current and up to date. One of the events that's on that calendar and you're going to want to put on yours is the Core 4 where no surface is left untouched. Check it out. When the folks at Core 4 say no surface untouched, they mean it. Champagne gravel, pavement, speedy single track, and all the level B roads. Core 4 doesn't stop at four surface types. They've got an ethos to get all bodies on bikes, and it comes through initiatives which support socioeconomic justice, gender equality, and bike advocacy. It's all about community, opportunity, recreation, and engagement at Core 4. Go early, bring the fam, They've got everything, bikes, bevs, packet pickup party at Big Grove, live music, free camping, and finish line fun for all. Do not miss the No Surface Untouched action in Iowa City on Saturday, August 19th, 150 and 25 mile options. Follow along on Instagram at Core4Bike and get in the lineup. Well, Dee and I are stoked to hit the Core 4 this year. It's the week before Gravel World. 
I think with this single track, we'll be doing it on our own bikes, but who knows, maybe tandem? I don't know, yet to be decided. We sure hope to see you there. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you have a great Memorial weekend. May the sun always be in your face and the wind at your back. <laughs>